Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. There's miracles in this house tonight. There, there is. I just feel there's like every, we just started singing. I felt that before. Then we started singing that um, song, uh, A Miracle Can Happen Now. And I thought, yeah, there's miracles here. Pastor Ross talked about it, but I really believe there is. And, uh, and I'm going to talk about uh, something along those lines tonight. And I prepared. I didn't know what songs we're going to sing or whatever happens, but God always knows what he's doing. And, uh, and I believe that even while you're sitting there tonight, you may need a miracle of healing. You might need a miracle of something else, a financial miracle or someone for in your family. You're believing for something. I believe even while you're sitting there tonight, that God is able to do it just while you're listening. And I believe there's faith in this place to receive what God is going to do. And tonight I want to talk about faith and anointing. Faith and anointing. And I want to share a story about that. But before I share the story, I want to sh- um, share a couple of things about faith and about the anointing of God. And uh, so first of all, real simple, faith. a lot of us understand what faith is, but there's a scripture that, uh, that the Bible talks about and clearly points out what faith is, what faith means in the Bible, what God means by faith. And in Hebrews 11.1 1 is really the faith scripture. Hebrews 11 is the, is the faith uh, chapter, if you like. If you want to read about faith and great men of faith, then you can read that chapter. I want to read the Amplified tonight, and it says it so powerfully. It says, now faith is the assurance, and it's got in brackets the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for or divinely guaranteed. Divinely guaranteed. That means God has guaranteed it. Divinely guaranteed. So it's the things of hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. In other words, people go, oh, well, I can't see it. No, because faith is beyond what you can see. I can't feel it. I can't touch it. I can't taste it. No, because faith is in another realm that's not just physical, but it's in a spiritual realm that you can't see. And so faith is something that you, it's something you're believing for. It hasn't happened yet, but you know it's about to happen before it does. And so we're talking about faith, and that's what God means by faith. He says, have faith. In fact, the Bible says it's impossible to please God unless you have faith. And so that's a bit about faith. And then we talk about anointing. We don't always, you know, we, we mention anointing. Some of you might be sitting there going, I don't understand what anointing is. We have an anointing service at the start of the year. And the Bible talks a lot about anointing. There's a lot of examples of anointing and what, and what it happened and what it did and all these things. And so for the start, Jesus Christ, the word Christ means anointed one. That's what that word means. So Jesus walked around as the anointed one. So what does anointing mean? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus is shown as the Messiah or Christ or the anointed. He is anointed with the Holy Spirit and he was anointed as a prophet priest and king. In other words, anointing is something that comes upon you to complete a certain task, sets you apart, has a purpose behind it. It's like you're anointed to complete something. You're anointed to do something. God anoints you for a purpose. Okay? Now, not only does it talk about Jesus being anointed, 
okay? But it also says there's a spiritual, you know, there's a spiritual side of it, kind of like the same as Jesus. The spiritual anointing with the Holy Spirit is also placed upon Christians, upon us by God. In other words, we, we read in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and a sign of the anointing that of what happened, the Holy because the anointing comes from the Holy Spirit upon someone. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's an anointing that comes upon you. When you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, there's an anointing that comes upon your life. And so on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit's poured out, they start speaking in tongues and said, tongues of fire appeared above them. What did the tongues of fire represent? The tongues of fire represented the anointing that God had placed upon their life. He said, you're now anointed. There wasn't one tongue of fire above all of them. They each had an individual tongue of fire, which means they were each individually anointed by God. That's important to know. Okay, so the Holy Spirit anoints us. God anoints us by the Holy Spirit. So there's an anointing upon this church. Okay, there's a corporate anointing upon this church. That's not your anointing. That's the anointing that God has placed on this church. It's an anointing that's different to the church up the road. It's anointing that's different to the Catholic church down the road. It's a, diff- a different whatever church. Every church doesn't have the same anointing. We function in the same ways, but there's certain things that God has called us to do that He hasn't called another church to do. And there's other things that God has called another church to do that He hasn't called us to do. And that's because there's individual anointings upon churches so there's a corporate anointing and when we come together under a corporate anointing the anointing that is upon this house is available to you there's an anointing of worship upon our church i go to other churches and the worship just isn't the same not to say we're better but there's an anointing upon our worship and our music that when we begin to sing there's a freedom there's a prophetic that that flows through. Other churches have that as well, but not every church has that. But then other churches might help people or or care for people, and there's an anointing on what they do of caring for others and helping others, and more than what we have. And so there's an anointing on this place. So when you walk into a church, that anointing that's upon that place is available to you. There's also an anointing on the head pastors or the main pastors of the church is an anointing on Pastor Ross and Mary that isn't on me, but it's upon them because God has put them at the head. There's an anointing on who he has placed at the head of church. There's an anointing that flows, and everyone a part of this church has access to that anointing that's flowing through them. And, it flow, and so when Pastor Ross preaches and when he speaks, there might be a prophetic edge or a word of God that will flow. And because God has given upon him, you can receive it as well because of the anointing that is upon him. And then everyone has an individual or personal anointing. You have a personal anointing. And God has given that to you for a purpose, to do something with to anoint your gifts and abilities. It's not just their thought, oh, well, that's good. You've got, in other words, you've got your own tongue of fire. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you've got your own anointing that God has put upon your life. Now, your anointing is not the same as the one that is on me because I've got different gifts and ability and God uses that anointing to use my gifts and abilities. The same as that, you know, I can't do the same stuff Dave does or Stace does or whoever in this place, because we'll do things similar, but we're not all exactly the same. It would be boring if we're all exactly the same. 
We all say the same thing, repeat the same thing. We're all a bunch of robots. We're not like that at all. God has put individual anointings on every single one of us for a purpose. So faith and anointing. Also in the Bible, that often the anointing was symbolized with oil. So people in the Bible were anointed with oil. Okay, And so David was anointed with oil to become king. Aaron, there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about Aaron. I've got it here. It says how in Psalm 133, how wonderful. It's talking about unity, but it's talking about, mentions Aaron, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head and ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. In other words, it covered him. It's a picture of the anointing of God covering him. And, and they actually physically poured oil over a king or a priest, whoever, that they were anointing for a purpose. It's all through the Bible, everywhere through the Bible. Even in the New Testament, in Mark 6, 12 to 13, it says, So the disciples went out telling everyone, this Jesus sent out the twelve, telling everyone they met to repent and turn away from their sin, turn to God and away from their sin. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. The power wasn't in the oil. The oil was a point of faith. And so there's an anointing. There's an oil. Every time you read about oil and anointing through the Bible, oil is symbolized in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit at work. In John 12, 3, it says, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence and nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. Here's another example where here's a, here's a lady with expensive like perfume, like an oily perfume that was extremely expensive, extremely expensive, worth like a year's wages, fifty or $60,000. And she usually saves it for your wedding day or whatever. And she was so thankful and recognized who Jesus was and that he had set her free and saved her that she comes and she breaks that jar and lets it run over Jesus' feet. And a few people got a bit like Judas especially, got a bit like, oh, you know, we could have sold that for lots of money. And he was taking a bit on the side, so he wanted to sell it and, and kind of get a bit from himself. and all. And, but then she wiped with his hair. And, and then Jesus says, everyone's like looking around, what, shocked that she would even, how, what, what's she doing? They're in a, someone's house, they're in Lazarus's house, he's been raised from the dead. And all these people are standing around. And then he said, you don't understand, she's anointing me for what I'm about to do. And he's about to go to the cross. And it was a symbol, symbol, symbolizing him being anointed, ready for what he was about to do. So anointing is set apart for a purpose, anointed by God. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. And so wherever he went, he carried the anointing of God upon his life. And now today, Jesus has gone to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit who comes upon us, and the same anointing that is upon Jesus also rests upon you. So, understanding all of that, I want to talk about, I want to read this story. And uh, it's in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 to 7. I want to read it from the message version uh, that's fairly similar to all the others. It just tells a story in plain language 
about what's happening here. It's a story some of you would have heard before. And I just want to break this story down and pull out some points out of this story. It says, One day the wife of a man from the guild of prophets or the company of prophets, the group of prophets, called out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You well know that a good, a, what a good man he was, devoted to God, and now the man to whom he was in debt is on his way to collect by taking my children as slaves. So her husband had died. Husband, you know, was the one that received all the money off in those days. The wives didn't always do a lot of work or whatever. So if there was no husband, there was often no income. And so he obviously owed a debt to a man and she had no money to pay it. So she said, Elisha, my husband's dead. He's a good man. And... The, these guys are about to come, and for payment for the debt, they're going to take my sons away. That's not a good situation to be in as a widow. Elisha said, I wonder how I can be of help. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing, she said. Well, I do have a little oil. At first, she says, well, I haven't really got anything. I haven't, oh, nothing of any value, nothing of anything important. Oh, she goes, oh, but I've got a little bit of oil. It's interesting that, you know, Elisha, the first question he says is, what do you have in your house? In other words, what have you have? What have you got with you? What is something you already have that can be used to change your situation? What's something you have that can transform this situation you've got yourself in. He's, he's saying, give me something to work with. God wants something to, you have to use to do a miracle. So he says, what do you have? And sometimes we overlook what we already have. We overlook, going, oh, well, she, she basically did. Oh, I've got, first answer was nothing. Got nothing. But she had something. She had a little bit of oil. But to her, it was like so small that it was going to be insignificant, but she said, oh, I've just, that's all I've got. I've got a little bit of oil, which was valuable in those days. And so often we can look at our lives and go, and we're thinking God might say, well, what have you got? And you go, well, haven't got anything. But sometimes we can have something and we think it's so insignificant. It could be a gift. It could be an ability. It could be something physical, whatever. And we sort of go, oh, well, it's nothing much. Nothing like, see that person over there, like, see what they've got. It's much better than what I've got, their gifts and ability, all that. And, and God's going, no, what have you got? What have you got? What have you, he wants to know, he wants you to understand that what you have, even though it's so small, is actually valuable. What have you got? We ask God to give us what we don't need, but God wants to use what we already have. So we're sitting here going, God, I need this. I need you to give me, I need to be better at this. I need you to give me this or that or the other or this ability or, or I need to get better at that. And God's saying, no, you're asking for the wrong thing. You're asking for all the things you don't need. I'm asking you, what have you already got? What have you already got tonight? God's anointing on the little we have is enough if you combine it with faith. But because we think what we have isn't enough, we don't put any faith in it. So we like we're going, I've got this, this little thing, but I don't think that's worth much at all. So I'm not going to believe that can, anything good can come out of that. 
And we sort of think, well, that's, you know, I need God. That's not good enough. I don't think anything, I think, you know, that's, that's this gift I've got. I don't think it's good enough. I don't think you can do anything with my voice. It's terrible. You can't, I don't think I can, I'm good at actually speaking or anything like that. But God's actually saying, if you just put some faith into it, if you just believe in it, who knows what I might do? And so she was going to overlook this little bit of oil that she thought was, there's no even point even mention the oil really because it can't do anything in this situation. I need, I need God to just do something else. I need someone to come and just give me a whole truckload of money to pay this debt or, or whatever. And I don't think the oil is going to help, but I'll, I'll mention it anyway. And sometimes we treat our gifts and the things in our life like that. We think, oh, it's, not even, it's hardly even worth mentioning. I'm not going to dare tell anyone else about it because they'll just laugh at me. And God's asking, tell me what you've got. Tell me what you've got. What's in your house? So what do you have? Because the gift you have is enough. I want to tell you tonight, the gift you have, the abilities you have, whether you think they're insignificant, they are enough. They are enough. You don't need God to turn up and give you some extra ability or extra gifts. They are enough. You just haven't put any faith into it yet. You just haven't allowed God's anointing to come upon it yet. And I'll show you how that works shortly. Your ability that you have is enough. Those gifts you have are enough. You just have to start looking at it and saying, God, this is what I have. I'm going to give it to you. So, so this woman, she says, I've only got a little bit of oil. That's all I've got. And so Elisha doesn't, you know, say anything else but says this. He says, here's what you need to do. Doesn't even talk about the oil yet. Says just, this is what you need to do. Go up and down the street and borrow jugs and bowls from all your neighbors. And not just a few, all you can get. And so she's got this little jar of oil. Probably was smaller than this. It wasn't made out of glass. It was made out of clay. And, um, and would have been a small jar, couldn't find one, but it doesn't really matter. And, uh, and so she's got this little bit of oil stacked away in a shelf somewhere. That's all she got, nothing else. Obviously, no other money lying around for anything else like that in great debt. And then Elisha says, I want you to go up the street and borrow jugs and bowls off people. Just think about this for a moment. So, you know, God has a procedure in the way he does things. And it doesn't always make us comfortable. It doesn't always happen in an instant when we want God to, oh my God, I want a miracle now. I want this situation fixed now. And God doesn't always do it now. He sometimes does. But he has a purpose in the waiting. He has a purpose in the procedure of doing things. And it's not always comfortable. Just imagine Okay, this lady would have been known by people in the area and she's walking up her street. Just imagine it's your neighborhood and your neighbors. You talk to your neighbors, they look at you, they know a few things about you. In those days, they would have known a lot more about you probably. There's a big marketplace. And they would have known that firstly, her husband had died. She had no income. Some of them would have known that she owed some money to a guy or her husband did. And that they would have known she has nothing to pay this guy back with. And here she is, knocking on your door. Oh, excuse me. Um, 
can I, have you got a jar I can borrow? And they're probably thinking, I am not going to get this back. So what's she going to do? Go sell that. And the jar's not worth really anything. What's she going to And then they look at the next neighbor and she knocks on the door. Have you got a jar or a bowl I can borrow? They're like, what do you want that for? What are you going to do with that? Isn't there a guy coming to like, I heard something about, you know, they, your sons are going to get taken off you. Why are you going and collecting jars? I'd be, you need money or you need something. And she says, no, I just need a jar. You got a jar. Got a clay jar. You know, and so they're not worth much. So there would have been a few laying around. And they go, oh, here you go. Here's a, here's a jar I've got. And they might have been different size. Some might have been big and all that. So her and her two sons are knocking door to door. You got a jar. You got a jar. You got a jar. And they start, so that's not comfortable. You know, it's like you're walking up the street. Have you got a Tupperware container I can borrow? Can I just, can I just borrow a Tupperware container? Why do you want that for? Aren't you, I thought, didn't you lose your job last week or whatever? Why do you want a Tupperware? Then you go to the next neighbor across the road. And they're looking at you like, they're going to ask them for a Tupperware container too. Why are they going to ask for a Tupperware container? They want to make a lot of sandwiches or something. And so, um, and so they, you know, and so it's kind of like that. They're going, why is she asking for jars? Like, and so they, there's stuff they would have known about her. And so obviously she collected jars and, and got them and got these jars and these bowls from the neighbors. And God has a procedure in that. She didn't understand exactly at all what was going on, but she knew enough to obey what Elisha, God's representative, said. She knew enough to obey and say, well, let's give this a go. If you don't give up, in the midst of all the procedure, when it's a bit tough, when it's a bit, you know, it doesn't happen instantly. If you keep pursuing and keep pressing on, if you keep going, there's a miracle at the end of it. And so we go through stuff and you've got gifts and abilities and that and you've got things happening in your life and, and God says, I want you to do it this way and you're thinking nothing's happening, nothing's going on, this is too tough, this is hard, I don't, this feels uncomfortable, I don't like it. God, what are you doing to me? And he's molding you, he's making you, he's, he's helping you to grow. But if you will keep persisting and don't give up, there's a miracle at the end of that. There's a breakthrough at the end of it if you don't give up. And people give up too early and they go, well, God didn't help me. Oh, he was, he was right in the midst of it. You were just one step away if you hadn't given up. Just got to follow through with what God says to do. Now, in the Bible, in this story, there's lots of, there's lots of things that represent other things in the Bible. Lots of examples. So, so oil, as we said, represents the anointing. And jugs and bowls in the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about jugs, of, jugs and bowls that, you know, um, and, and jars and things that represent people. The reference that where, you know, where clay in the potter's hand, who was making a bowl. And so that's, he's, he was talking about people. And so jugs and bowls represent people in the Bible. Second Corinthians 4, 7, I love this scripture, it says, We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure, which is the gospel and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7. What's that saying? It's saying, you know, he's saying that, hey, on the outside, we don't look like much. He's himself, he's talking about the other disciples and Christians and prophets, and they're getting beaten up for their faith. They're getting ridiculed, all this stuff. And on the outside, he said, look, you know, we don't look like much. We kind of look like a, just an inexpensive clay pot or a clay jar. They're going, oh, that's not worth a lot. But he said, on the inside, 
He said, on the inside, we have a treasure that's been put there by God. And it's a treasure that can transform this whole world. It's a treasure so great that if anyone knew, anyone that sees it and gets sees it, gets a glimpse of it, when they really see it, they said they'll, they'll, they'll sell all, they'll give away everything else just to get this treasure. They'll give, they'll give whatever it takes to, to get salvation, to hear the gospel message for the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when they see it, that's why the church grew so much. They look like ordinary people. But when they saw the power of God that was within them, and when they spoke and miracles and healings and, and the power of God broke loose, and when they spoke with such wisdom that all the scholars of the day thought, like, where did they get that wisdom from? It's because of the treasure that was on the inside. The gospel that had been put there by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God that was on the inside of them, put there by God, was sitting there, and as they spoke, it just flowed out. Didn't look like much. You know, and people, and, and don't be worried if, you know, people look around and go, well, that person, they've got it all together. Look, they've got this, they've got that. On the outside, they can have it all together, but a lot of people that look like it's together on the outside, it's falling apart on the inside. God has put a treasure in you. And he says also that he says, when you go get these jars to this lady and her two sons, he says, don't just get a few jars, grab all you can get. That's an interesting line. He just, I'll just go get some jars. He said, don't just grab a few, grab all you can get. Here's why I think he said that. He was helping her out. She she, this is what she asked for. She asked for this, that, that I've got this debt that needs to be paid that is owed to this guy that my husband obviously hadn't paid and died. And he said, I've got this debt and I need to fix that debt. So she's thinking, I just need enough to pay for the debt. And God is thinking, you need enough to pay for the debt and I'm going to give you enough for the rest of your life to live on as well. And so Elisha says, don't just get a few. In other words, don't just get a few just for what you need for the debt. He said, get as much as you can. Get every jar, get every bowl, get to every house, do whatever you can. Get everything you can because God's going to do it for you. Don't, don't be just thinking, oh, God's a bit stingy. God can only just be limited to this much. God is unlimited. God is everlasting. God has more than enough. He does over and above, and he's helping her with her faith because the faith in this story the faith that connects with the anointing in this story are the jars, the empty jars. The more faith she had, then she gets another jar. The more faith she had, then she gets another jar. The more faith she had, then she gets another jar, another bowl, whatever she can get. And so she's collecting all this stuff. Don't just get a few. And to us, don't limit God to what He can do in your life. Oh, God, you know... You know, if you just heal one part of my body, that'll be enough. I've got a whole lot of other pain up here and here. But if you just do that, that'll be enough. God's saying, no, I want to do it all. I want to do it all. Do you want me to do it all or just bit? And so, you know, and it's like, oh, God, if you just give me just enough hours at work to get by, that would be okay with the job. And God goes, no, I want to give you enough so you can be a blessing to other people. I want to give you more than that. I want to bless you. Do you know, if you're reading the Bible, that... When Jesus did his first miracle, when he turned water into wine, they'd already drunk a whole lot of wine that was cheap wine. He turns his water into wine that was really good wine. He made way more wine that was needed. 
way more. I don't know what the end of that wedding turned out like, but he made way more wine that was needed, like liters and liters and liters of wine. And so he went over and above. When Jesus, they're feeding this 10,000 plus people and they've been there all day long. And Jesus says, we need to feed these people. The disciples said, we've got nothing to feed these people. It's too far walk to the next town. And, and he says, oh, I've got this one boy. He's got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, that'll do. So he makes enough, he multiplies, he prays, and it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies, feeds 10,000 plus people, and then there's 12 basketfuls left, way more than was needed. Why did he do that? Because he thought it was fun. I don't know. Because God isn't a God that's stingy. He's not a God that is just enough. He's more than enough. He's not a God that can just mean, oh, he's just... God, I know you but can only, you're limited today. There's a lot going on. You can only do this much. God says, I can do more than you need. And so Elisha says to her, don't just get a few jars. Get as many as you can because I know a God. Elisha's thinking, I know God. He's not going to just want to fill a couple wasting his time. He wants to fill as many as you can get. He wants to fill 10, 20, 30, as many as you can carry, as many as you can get a hold of. He said, don't limit God. Have great faith, he's saying. Stretch your faith. God wants to take the little that you have and not just do a little miracle, but he wants to do a great miracle. He just doesn't, he doesn't want, he wants to take that, that ability you think is so small or that gift is so small or that thing you're thinking, oh, well, it's, it's nothing much. And he says, no, I want to take that. And I want, to, I want to do something, not just you might be thinking this, but I'm thinking way bigger than that. There's so much in God. And the and, and, and Bible talks about if he actually, we could see what God wanted to do, we'd probably get a bit scared about it. What the potential is, when the anointing of God comes upon your life, the potential is so great, so big, that we would probably get a bit scared about what, if God was to reveal, said, in the future, this is what I see. And you go, whoa, I don't think... I don't think I can do that. You really? Really? And so God has a process and reveals things one step at a time. Then he says this. And he says, when you go to your jars, got all the jars. Can't think. He says, then come home and lock the door behind you and your sons. Now, why did he say to do that? He said that to block out distractions. They're carrying all these jars down the street. The neighbors are like really inquisitive, like why are they carrying all these jars, keep carrying all these jars in the house, they're going, what's going on in there? They must have a, they're getting ready for something, a party, but they've got no money. They've got, so, they, and they, so they locked the door, because you know what, if someone walked in there, and they go, what are you doing? Oh, we're getting ready to, you know, Elisha said, well, I need to get all these jars together, and, and he's going to do a miracle. Oh, sure, going to believe him? What about your husband? He was a prophet, he died. Where was God then? And people will doubt and throw negative thoughts in there. So this is really saying, hey, shut the door. Shut the door on that stuff. Shut the door on the enemy. Shut the door on the negativity in your own mind from other people. Shut, close that door and say, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm putting my faith in you. Then Elisha says this, pour oil into each container. When each is full, set it aside. She did what he said. She locked the door behind her and her sons. And as they brought the containers to her, she filled them. When all the jugs and bowls were full, she said to one of her sons, another jug, please. He said, that's it. There's no more jugs. And then the oil stopped. This little 
thing of oil that obviously was not enough to fill all these jugs. She just tipped it in and it kept pouring. It kept coming. It kept running. And then she's like, okay, that one's full. Bring the next one. Again, it kept pouring. It kept pouring. And then as soon as she filled the last jug, she goes, can you bring another one? And he goes, no more. And then suddenly it's empty. Nothing left. You know, as I said before, the oil represents the anointing. <clears throat> and the, those jugs and those jars represent people. We need people around us that are empty vessels. You need people around you that aren't Christians, that are empty vessels, that don't know who Jesus is, that aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. You constantly need to be in contact with people that aren't because your life has an anointing upon it that needs to flow. And if you're just hanging around with people that are all full, then there's nowhere for it to flow. So the anointing needs to touch people around you. So you need to be around people, not everyone, but you need people around you that aren't Christians, that aren't filled up with God, that aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, that need the anointing of God, that need miracles, that need healing, that need help from God. You need to hang around with those people so the anointing on your life can flow and touch them. We need them in church every week. We have them in church every week. We need more. Because guess what? The more empty vessels there are, the greater the anointing will flow. You fill half this place up with people that don't know Jesus and fill every empty seat, God will show up. The anointing will flow. The anointing that's on, the, if we don't have to make it happen, we just have to show up as well because the anointing that's on the house, the anointing that's on Pastor Ross and Mary, as they, as they worship as they begin to sing, as the worship happens, as everything happens, those people will start to get touched by the power of God. The anointing will flow because there's empty vessels in the house. Do you know why churches die? Because there's no empty vessels in the house. Do you know why churches get dead? Because there's no empty vessels in the house and the anointing stops flowing. So hang around people that don't know Jesus because without you even saying anything, the anointing will flow out of you. You don't even have to try. You don't. I'm telling you, you don't. If you just, if you keep the relationship with God close and know Him and have a relationship with God, you don't have to preach to anyone. You don't have to do anything actually because the anointing and light will be so much greater than the darkness that they'll just start asking you. They'll come to you. They know where the light is. They can sense it. They can see it. You just need to keep letting the anointing flow out of your life. Last Sunday night I shared about Olivia's friend and uh, from school that said she saw Olivia at school and she said, you're different to other girls and, and, uh, and I, you know, you go to church, don't you? Do you think I could come to church as well? And she came to church. She stayed over at our house Saturday night and came to church last Sunday a week ago and her grandparents came to pick her up and came to the second service and responded to Jesus. And then they were back again this, this Sunday, this morning, and, uh, and God's touching their lives, and her friend was back in kids' church. Then Olivia gets to church, she's at the second service, and then all of a sudden, another friend from her class arrives at church this morning as well. And she's like, you're from my class. So there's three of them all in the same class, and two of them have just showed up at church in the last two weeks. And so her mum and dad 
they, they are Christians. They live in Singapore most of the year, and she doesn't. She lives here with her nana because of schooling and all that kind of stuff. And so she's, she's here, and they said, we, just, we thought we need to go to a church. They're leaving for Singapore tomorrow. We need to find a church for our daughter to connect to. And they drive up the street, and they drive straight into our church this morning. And the first people she meets are two girls from her class. That's the anointing. It's the anointing that's on this house. It's the anointing that's on this house. They could drive to any other church, but God brought them here because it's the anointing that's on this house. God knew where, they need, where she needed to be. It's the anointing that's on Olivia's life that caused that connection to happen. Then this woman, she went and told the story to the man of God about what happened with the jars and the oil. It says, go sell the oil and make good on your debts and live both of you and your sons on what is left. In other words, she had more than enough to live the rest of the life with the oil that was left because God did a miracle. So what happened in this story? Worship team, you want to come on up as we finish tonight? What happened in this story? This is what happened. How does this apply to our life? When the anointing represented with the oil in the, in the jars, when it came in contact with faith, a miracle happened. So when the anointing oil came in contact with the jars that represented faith, that anointing oil turned into miracle oil, multiplication oil. And so then a miracle starts to take place because faith had joined with the anointing. Faith had joined with the anointing. Faith activates the anointing. Faith activates the anointing of God in your life. Faith activates the anointing in Pastor Ross and Mary's life. Faith activates the anointing that's on this house. When people rock up with faith, when they show up with faith, the anointing is activated and flows. When you live each day knowing there's an anointing upon your life and you live each day with faith saying, God, I know you're gonna, I'm going to meet someone today that you want to touch. That's faith. That's all that needs to happen. And the faith joins with the anointing that is upon your life and a miracle is ready to happen. When Jesus, the anointed one, came in contact with people's faith, miracles happened everywhere. Jesus was the anointing. He carried the anointing. And so all he did, he walked along and then he, he could pick up people with faith. They'd come to say, Jesus, my daughter's sick, my son's sick. Or he'd come across to someone and what did he ask him? Do you believe? Because he wanted to see if he had faith. Then he goes to his hometown and they said, oh, this is only Jesus. He's my cousin. He's, we know him. We grew up with Jesus. You know, he's nothing special. And they didn't have faith. And the Bible says that he could only do little miracles. He did hardly any miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. But he walked everywhere else because faith activates the anointing. And a lack of faith deactivates the anointing. There's people out there that believe in God. There's people out there that believe in miracles. But they haven't got the anointing. And they need to come into contact with you and me who have the anointing, have a conversation. And when that conversation happens and when their faith begins to connect with the anointing that's upon your life, miracles will happen. Not just in here, but in the street, in the house, wherever it is, God is not limited. Your miracles will happen when the faith joins with the anointing. 
You are anointed with the Holy Spirit. Wherever you come in contact with people, with faith, a belief in God that a hundred are searching, like these people over the last couple of weeks have been searching. They came in contact with the anointing and now God's healing people. God's setting people free. Other friends are coming and God's drawing people simply because of the anointing. Why don't you stand to your feet tonight? The anointing. It's upon your life. It's upon your life. Just want you to close your eyes for a minute as we as we close tonight. As we finish this. There's there's a scripture in the Bible that says that the anointing breaks every yoke of bondage. What that's talking about is that there's oxen when they'd run oxen. When it used to be in the years ago in Australia, but they'd run teams of oxen and there'd be a yoke, which was a wooden yoke that went around their necks that kept them all together in straight lines. But but it was controlled by the person driving the oxen and they couldn't just run off or do whatever. And there's and there's like a yoke of the Bible talks about a yoke of slavery to sin. And that scripture's talking about the anointing breaks strongholds and it breaks addictions. And it breaks, like the, it's like a yoke around your neck that you're controlled by the sin, you're controlled by those past actions, you're controlled by maybe a pattern of thinking or whatever it may be. But the anointing breaks the yoke so that has no control anymore. And so I was standing here earlier tonight and I felt to ask tonight, there's some people here that you're struggling with some addictions because of past things and, and thought patterns and, and things that you keep wanting to fall back into and you go good for a while, but then you kind of something happens, you get just discouraged or whatever and so like you go back and it's like you're caught in this yoke of the anointing the anointing's here to break every yoke every yoke of slavery every yoke of sin every yoke of bondage so this is what I want to do if that's you you relate to that you say I need this broken in my life could Pastor Ross mentioned smoking early today it could be could be anything but it's something that's stopping you and holding you back from being totally free in God having total freedom. If that's you, I'm going to put your hand. I just want you to walk out of your seat and stand at this altar. Just just walk out. Just come out right now. Just step straight out of your seat. Because faith is your response right now. Faith is saying, I believe God can do it, so I'm going to step out of my seat. Your faith connects with the anointing, which brings a miracle, which brings breakthrough, which brings transformation. There's some other people. If you want to come on, wait a couple of minutes because I know there's a couple more people. It's significant. Part you can you can you can stay bound, but I believe tonight there's an anointing on what I've just said to set you free. Right now. Right now. Right now. Anyone else you want to come? doesn't mean you're a bad person doesn't mean you've done anything really bad or wrong you've just had some stuff that's happened and struggles and God just wants to set you free because he loves you that's all it is and there's an anointing on the house tonight to break every yoke to break every chain to set every captive free every captive free
else you want to keep? You want to come? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Also want to ask this, that before we pray, we're going to sing. I believe as we worship tonight, that as we worship God and do this song, I believe people are going to get set free the moment we start to worship. There's also, I want to ask this question, is anyone here, if you don't know Jesus, you've never given or surrendered your life to Him, maybe you've already responded out the front out here, maybe you're still out in the crowd, but you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never asked Jesus into your life to set you free, to, to come in and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, I want to give my life to you, forgive me of the stuff I've done wrong, come and live in me, make me brand new again. If you haven't never done that, you never... Ask Jesus into your life. I just want you to put up your hand where you're standing or in this place because I just want to include you before we pray. Anyone? Yeah, awesome, man. Anyone else? Anyone else? So I'm going I'm to pray. What's your name? That's a cool name. Steel. Awesome. You sound like a movie star. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for still. This is the first time you've ever done this? Ever done this before? Or Yeah? Okay, awesome. I'm going to pray that, uh, and we're going to pray this together. Prayer is asking Jesus into our life to forgive us of our sin and, and steal. And everyone else, I invite you to just close your eyes and let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I come to you tonight. And I thank you that you took my place and you died for my sin to set me free. I ask you right now to forgive me and make me brand new. Come and live in me. Lead me and guide me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Anoint me. Transform me and change me. I thank you that I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.